0: this is smart politics i'm your host anthony arnold the 1960s and 70s of all the eras in american history this one looms largest the combination of war internal conflict and corruption produced a period of time that when the dust had settled had irreversibly changed america and while much of that change was accomplished by peaceful means, there remains a tendency to downplay the extreme violence that was occurring alongside the sit-ins. This tendency is one that we're still dealing with. Today, when we observe the violence that occurs alongside peaceful cause for justice, we shake our heads, wondering why they can't be more like the peaceful demonstrators of the previous generations. In our collective memory, we've chosen to only remember the nonviolent actions, forgetting that not all people believed in or shared those tactics. More broadly, when we look at the violence in our politics today, we treat it as unique. The reality is something different. In the grand sweep of history, 60 years isn't that long. And so it wasn't so long ago when violence and the threat of violence was one of the primary traits of American politics. The idea at the heart of this series of episodes remains the same violence is always an option, it's always a possibility. No time period in modern American history represents this better than the 60s and 70s. So join me as I take a tour through America's most chaotic, transformative, And impactful time. Let's begin. There's a number I like to throw out when talking about this era 2,500. That's the number of estimated bombings carried out by various left wing activist groups over 18 months during 1971 and 1972, roughly five a day. 2,500. Now it's true that these bombings weren't killing people. Most of them were taking place in the dead of night. But I think about the last couple years of American life, the protests and the riots, the fear, worry, and instability that seems to hang in the air. Imagine all of that, but add on five bombings per day. How much worse would it all be even if what was being blown up was empty buildings in the middle of the night, you don't have to be an imaginative person to think up the headlines, breaking news alerts, and phone notifications that would be happening 24-7. Every day would be a nonstop parade of commenters, journalists wringing their hands about the violence. They already do that now. But while the number of bombings is shocking, What might be more shocking is that we've largely forgotten they ever occurred. Outside of people who are old enough to have lived through it, there are generations of Americans who seemingly don't realize that our nation's most well-known nonviolent movement ran alongside our most explosive period of domestic terrorism. That's what those bombings were, right? Terrorist attacks. We think of terrorism as something that happens somewhere else to people who are more backwards than us. What we don't realize is that before our long stretch of relative calm, we too had a period of time when bombings were background noise. It wasn't just the activists doing the bombing though. Throughout the early 60s, there were numerous bombings of black churches. The most high profile of these was the 1963 bombing of a church in Birmingham, which resulted in the deaths of four young girls. But in the eight years leading up to that day, there were 20 other bombings at various black properties throughout the city. And in the decades before, there had been even more leading to Birmingham being given the unofficial nickname of Bombingham. The killing of four little girls was an outlier, only in the sense that girls were killed. But for black residents of Birmingham, bombings had become a routine occurrence. What's probably more well-known than the bombings are the assassinations. Most people probably know that President Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., and Malcolm X were all killed during the 60s. They're not the only ones, of course, but there's at least an understanding that politically motivated killings were once a feature of American politics. Even here, though, a broader understanding is lacking. How many of you recognize the name Herbert Lee? Now, I consider myself well-informed, but even I couldn't have told you who he was before I started doing research for this episode. Lee was a civil rights activist in Mississippi and one of the early founders of the NAACP in his county. And he was killed by E. H. Hurst, a member of the Mississippi State legislature, for his advocacy. Hurst, unsurprisingly, was never found guilty for his crime Names like Kennedy and King are familiar to us, but names like Lee, they aren't recorded anywhere. Again, the true history and scale of political violence has been lost to us. It's this tendency to only remember the most familiar examples that most weakens us. Lots of people are familiar with Bloody Sunday. When state troopers in Alabama attacked peaceful demonstrators in Selma as they were marching for voting rights. There are calls to remember every year, and politicians have made it a tradition to engage in photo ops, showcasing their attendance to the various events that always occur. But what about Axe Handle Saturday? Does that name ring a bell? Probably not. In Jacksonville, Florida, on August 27th, 1960, Black civil rights activists were engaging in a sit-in at a whites-only lunch counter. They were spit on by the whites in the area. And shortly after, nearly 200 whites and some Klan members arrived with axe handles and baseball bats. They chased the activists out, beating them as they did. And when others showed up to protect the demonstrators, the police intervened. On the side of the people doing the beating. When we recall the history of that era, we see the same thing playing out again and again. As a nation, we have buried the tremendous violence that was occurring during those years. And when we do talk about violence, we talk about groups like the Black Panthers or the Vietnam protesters without acknowledging the violence they were responding to. Mostly, though, We just don't talk about it at all. In the decades that followed, we started telling and repeating the same story. And it goes something like this. America was racist and unequal. But then Dr. King came along, appealed to the better angels of our nature with a campaign of nonviolence, and we all eventually saw the light. We tell ourselves that while there may have been regrettable incidents, they were outliers. The truth is something different. America in the 60s and 70s was a hotbed of politically motivated violence. Bombings, mass shootings, assassinations, terrorism were widespread. Protesters and activists were met with tremendous violence and some of them responded in kind. People's frustrations and anger boiled over and the result was a period of time that we have tried very hard to forget there's a lesson to be learned here though politics today is once again frustrating for many of us anger is widespread and there's a broad feeling that the current system is incapable of delivering answers and over the last decade We've witnessed the shooting of Gabby Giffords in 2011, the attack at the congressional baseball game in 2017, mass protest, and yes, some rioting over police violence and an attack in our nation's capital. We haven't yet returned to the 1960s and 70s. I'm not saying that we definitely will. What I am saying is that the potential for violence in our politics is increasing and that this wouldn't represent something new and unprecedented. It has happened before and it can happen again. In my opinion, too many people are comfortable with talk of violence. Huge majorities of each party believe that the other party represents a clear danger to democracy and a large number of Americans believe that succession and violence may be necessary to save the country, but I think it's easy to call for violence when you don't know what that violence looks like before and you don't have a good picture of what it might look like in the future. The violence of the revolutionary era, the devastating wars of the 20th century, or the bombings Beatings and killings of the civil rights era may have been necessary in some sense, but that doesn't mean any of it was good. We shouldn't pretend that peace must always hold, but we should always be clear that peace is preferable to the other alternatives. As always, I want to encourage you all to continue the discussion on our social media pages, either on Facebook or Instagram. Like all of our shows here, this podcast is brought to you in part by Eliag Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians and PointCast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, you can visit our website at pointcast.news or subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and make sure you join us next time.